section fifteen of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six continued part four shakespeare the wonder of shakespeare one who reads a few of shakespeare's great plays and then the meager story of his life is generally filled with a vague wonder here is an unknown country boy poor and poorly educated according to the standards of his age who arrives at the great city of london and goes to work at odd jobs in a theatre in a year or two he is associated with scholars and dramatists the masters of their age writing plays of kings and clowns of gentlemen and heroes and noble women all of whose lives he seems to know by intimate association in a few years more he leads all that brilliant group of poets and dramatists who have given undying glory to the age of elizabeth play after play runs from his pen mighty dramas of human life and character following one another so rapidly that good work seems impossible yet they stand the test of time and their poetry is still unrivaled in any language for all this great work the author apparently cares little since he makes no attempt to collect or preserve his writings a thousand scholars have ever since been busy collecting identifying classifying the works which this magnificent workman tossed aside so carelessly when he abandoned the drama and retired to his native village he has a marvellously imaginative and creative mind but he invents few if any new plots or stories he simply takes an old play or an old poem and makes it over quickly and lo this old familiar material glows with the deepest thoughts and the tenderest feelings that ennoble our humanity and each new generation of men finds it more wonderful than the last how did he do it that is still an unanswered question and the source of our wonder genius or training there are in general two theories to account for shakespeare the romantic school of writers have always held that in him all came from within that his genius was his sufficient guide and that to the overmastering power of his genius alone we owe all his great works practical unimaginative men on the other hand assert that in shakespeare all came from without and that we must study his environment rather than his genius if we are to understand him he lived in a play-loving age he studied the crowds gave them what they wanted and simply reflected their own thoughts and feelings in reflecting the english crowd about him he unconsciously reflected all crowds which are alike in all ages hence his continued popularity and in being guided by public sentiment he was not singular but followed the plain path that every good dramatist has always followed to success probably the truth of the matter is to be found somewhere between these two extremes of his great genius there can be no question but there are other things to consider as we have already noticed shakespeare was trained like his fellow workmen first as an actor second as a reviser of old plays and last as an independent dramatist he worked with other playwrights and learned their secret like them he studied and followed the public taste and his work indicates at least three stages 
from his first somewhat crude experiments to his finished masterpieces so it would seem that in shakespeare we have the result of hard work and of orderly human development quite as much as of transcendent genius life fifteen sixty four sixteen sixteen two outward influences were powerful in developing the genius of shakespeare the little village of stratford centre of the most beautiful and romantic district in rural england and the great city of london the centre of the world's political activity in one he learned to know the natural man in his natural environment in the other the social the artificial man in the most unnatural of surroundings from the register of the little parish church at stratford-on-avon we learn that william shakespeare was baptized there on the twenty sixth of april fifteen sixty four old style as it was customary to baptize children on the third day after birth the twenty-third of april may third according to our present calendar is generally accepted as the poet's birthday his father john shakespeare was a farmer's son from the neighboring village of snitterfield who came to stratford about fifteen fifty one and began to prosper as a trader in corn meat leather and other agricultural products his mother mary arden was the daughter of a prosperous farmer descended from an old warwickshire family of mixed anglo-saxon and norman blood in fifteen fifty nine this married couple sold a piece of land and the document is signed the mark of john shakespeare the mark of mary shakespeare and from this it has been generally inferred that like the vast majority of their countrymen neither of the poet's parents could read or write this was probably true of his mother but the evidence from stratford documents now indicates that his father could write and that he also audited the town accounts though in attesting documents he sometimes made a mark leaving his name to be filled in by the one who drew up the document of shakespeare's education we know little except that for a few years he probably attended the endowed grammar school at stratford where he picked up the small latin and less greek to which his learned friend ben jonson refers his real teachers meanwhile were the men and women and the natural influences which surrounded him stratford is a charming little village in beautiful warwickshire and near at hand were the forest of arden the old castles of warwick and kenilworth and the old roman camps and military roads to appeal powerfully to the boy's lively imagination every phase of the natural beauty of this exquisite region is reflected in shakespeare's poetry just as his characters reflect the nobility and the littleness the gossip vices emotions prejudices and traditions of the people about him i saw a smith stand with his hammer thus the whilst his iron did on the anvil cool with open mouth swallowing a tailor's news who with his shears and measure in his hand standing on slippers which his nimble haste had falsely thrust upon contrary feet told of a many thousand warlike french that were embattled and ranked in kent note king john act four scene two 
such passages suggest not only genius but also a keen sympathetic observer whose eyes see every significant detail so with the nurse in romeo and juliet whose endless gossip and vulgarity cannot quite hide a kind heart she is simply the reflection of some forgotten nurse with whom shakespeare had talked by the wayside not only the gossip but also the dreams the unconscious poetry that sleeps in the heart of the common people appeal tremendously to shakespeare's imagination and are reflected in his greatest plays othello tries to tell a curt soldier story of his love but the account is like a bit of mandeville's famous travels teeming with the fancies that filled men's heads when the great round world was first brought to their attention by daring explorers here is a bit of folklore touched by shakespeare's exquisite fancy which shows what one boy listened to before the fire at halloween she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone on the forefinger of an alderman drawn with a team of little atomies athwart men's noses as they lie asleep her wagon spokes made of long spinner's legs the cover of the wings of grasshoppers the traces of the smaller spider's web the collars of the moonshine's watery beams her whip a cricket's bone the lash of film her wagoner a small grey-coated gnat her chariot is an empty hazelnut made by the joiner squirrel or old grub time out o mind the fairy's coachmakers and in this state she gallops night by night through lovers brains and then they dream of love or lawyers fingers who straight dream on fees or ladies lips who straight on kisses dream note queen mab in romeo and juliet so with shakespeare's education at the hands of nature which came from keeping his heart as well as his eyes wide open to the beauty of the world he speaks of a horse and we know the fine points of a thoroughbred he mentions the duke's hounds and we hear them clamoring on a fox trail their voices matched like bells in the frosty air he stops for an instant in the sweep of a tragedy to notice a flower a star a moonlit bank a hilltop touched by the sunrise and instantly we know what our own hearts felt but could not quite express when we saw the same thing because he notes and remembers every significant thing in the changing panorama of earth and sky no other writer has ever approached him in the perfect natural setting of his characters when shakespeare was about fourteen years old his father lost his little property and fell into debt and the boy probably left school to help support the family of younger children what occupation he followed for the next eight years is a matter of conjecture from evidence found in his plays it is alleged with some show of authority that he was a country schoolmaster and a lawyer's clerk the character of holofernes in love's labors lost being the warrant for one and shakespeare's knowledge of law terms for the other but if we take such evidence then shakespeare must have been a botanist because of his knowledge of wild flowers a sailor because he knows the ropes a courtier because of his extraordinary facility in quips and compliments 
and courtly language a clown because none other is so dull and foolish a king because richard and henry are true to life a woman because he has sounded the depths of a woman's feelings and surely a roman because in coriolanus and julius caesar he has shown us the roman spirit better than have the roman writers themselves he was everything in his imagination and it is impossible from a study of his scenes and characters to form a definite opinion as to his early occupation in fifteen eighty two shakespeare was married to anne hathaway the daughter of a peasant family of shottery who was eight years older than her boy husband from numerous sarcastic references to marriage made by the characters in his plays and from the fact that he soon left his wife and family and went to london it is generally alleged that the marriage was a hasty and unhappy one but here again the evidence is entirely untrustworthy in many miracles as well as in later plays it was customary to depict the seamy side of domestic life for the amusement of the crowd and shakespeare may have followed the public taste in this as he did in other things the references to love and home and quiet joys in shakespeare's plays are enough if we take such evidence to establish firmly the opposite supposition that his love was a very happy one and the fact that after his enormous success in london he retired to stratford to live quietly with his wife and daughters tends to the same conclusion about the year fifteen eighty seven shakespeare left his family and went to london and joined himself to burbage's company of players a persistent tradition says that he had incurred the anger of sir thomas lucy first by poaching deer in that nobleman's park and then when hailed before a magistrate by writing a scurrilous ballad about sir thomas which so aroused the old gentleman's ire that shakespeare was obliged to flee the country an old record note by archdeacon davies in the seventeenth century end of note says that the poet was given to all unluckiness in stealing venison and rabbits the unluckiness probably consisting in getting caught himself and not in any lack of luck in catching the rabbits the ridicule heaped upon the lucy family in henry the fourth and the merry wives of windsor gives some weight to this tradition nicholas rowe who published the first life of shakespeare note in seventeen o nine nearly a century after the poet's death end of note is the authority for this story but there is some reason to doubt whether at the time when shakespeare is said to have poached in the deer park of sir thomas lucy at charlescote there were any deer or park at the place referred to the subject is worthy of some scant attention if only to show how worthless is the attempt to construct out of rumor the story of a great life which fortunately perhaps had no contemporary biographer of his life in london from fifteen eighty seven to sixteen eleven the period of his greatest literary activity we know nothing definitely we can judge only from his plays and from these it is evident that he entered into the stirring life of england's capital with the same perfect sympathy and understanding that marked him among the plain people of his native warwickshire 
the first authentic reference to him is in fifteen ninety two when green's note robert green one of the popular playwrights of the time who attacked shakespeare in a pamphlet called a groat's worth of wit bought with a million of repentance the pamphlet aside from its jealousy of shakespeare is a sad picture of a man of genius dying of dissipation and contains a warning to other playwrights of the time whose lives were apparently almost as bad as that of green End of note bitter attack appeared showing plainly that shakespeare had in five years assumed an important position among playwrights then appeared the apology of the publishers of green's pamphlet with their tribute to the poet's sterling character and occasional literary references which show that he was known among his fellows as the gentle shakespeare ben jonson says of him i love the man and do honor his memory on this side idolatry as much as any he was indeed honest and of an open and free nature to judge from only three of his earliest plays it would seem reasonably evident that in the first five years of his london life he had gained entrance to the society of gentlemen and scholars had caught their characteristic mannerisms and expressions and so was ready by knowledge and observation as well as by genius to weave into his dramas the whole stirring life of the english people the plays themselves with the testimony of contemporaries and his business success are strong evidence against the tradition that his life in london was wild and dissolute like that of the typical actor and playwright of his time End of section fifteen.